Father, uh, as we look at this little story today about uh, Cain and Abel, and we see the first murder take place on earth, Lord, uh, show us that uh, through your word that this story is a lot more about uh, murder, but about what murder is rooted in, Lord. Uh, the fact that it's rooted in a way that uh, people go uh, apart from you. We call that the way of Cain. And Lord, I just ask today that you help us to distinguish between the way of Cain and the way of Abel. Lord, that we see the dangers of going any other way. Uh, Lord, the problem in our country today, we, we, we just see the surface and we see the uh, the things, the terrible things that happen, all the murders, Lord, all the, the, the evil, and, and Lord, it's rooted in, in a simple foundational truth that we're going to look at today. Just as good, real good is rooted in a simple foundational truth that we're going to look at today. So, Lord, I help you, help, Lord, help us to, uh, to, to see these truths and uh, apply them to our lives as we, we try to live for you. Father, we just uh, know that we can only live for you through Jesus Christ and, and through faith in him and his blood and his spirit and his life. And so, Lord, I ask you to drive those points home today as we look at this little story in the first part of chapter 4 of Genesis. I ask that in Christ's name. Amen. Well, we come to chapter four today, and uh, we're going to get another one of those foundational truths. We're going to look at uh, the birth of uh, Adam and Eve's, uh, or the narrative about Adam and Eve's first two sons, uh, Cain and Abel, and uh, it's a. This is one of those foundational studies. We we all the studies in Genesis. Are foundational, but this is going to be a very important foundational study as we, as we look at uh, the story of Cain and Abel, uh, who symbolically represent this age-old battle between the seed of the serpent and the seed of the woman. And uh, we looked at that prophecy in chapter three, verse fifteen, and we're we're going to look at it again today, uh, and we're going to see where Cain and Abel fit in that prophecy, and really it's a prophecy of all the history of mankind, and so it's a, a really important study. Now, I want to go back and kind of set the setting. Uh, remember, Adam and Eve have rebelled against God. They ate of the forbidden fruit. That didn't seem so bad, but we're going to see it begin to play itself out today as we look at this story. But they ate of the forbidden fruit, and soon, as soon as they had eaten of that fruit, they died spiritually. And here they were, they were glowing with the very glory of God, and they ate of the fruit, they rebelled against God by eating of that fruit, and then they died spiritually, and they realized that they were naked. And so they're kicked out of the garden, the earth where they go is cursed, but I don't believe once they got kicked out, they went very far away from the place where God kicked them out. I think they hung right there. And I think one of the reasons they hung there, because they, remember, Adam hadn't known any other father but God. And he wanted to hang out with his father. He wanted to see the Lord. And so he hung out to where he was kicked out, even though uh, that angel with that sword 
uh, made it the light coming off of that sword made it such that he couldn't see the Garden of Eden anymore. He couldn't see the city of Zion. He couldn't actually walk with the Lord every day like he did before. He still wanted to hang in that very place so he could have this visitation of the Lord. And I actually think that Adam thought that maybe at some point God would change his mind. And God would change his mind and he would say, okay, you've been a pretty good boy, now I'm going to let you back into the Garden of Eden. And uh, we're going to have, you know, start this thing like we started before. We're gonna, you're going to get this second chance. Well, you got to remember, his theology was pretty primitive at best. Uh, you, we saw that in the last chapter when Adam realized he was naked and Eve realized that she was naked. What did they do? They went and hid in the bushes, thinking they were going to hide from God. Well, that showed us right away that they didn't understand anything about the omniscience of God or the omnipresence of God, that they thought somehow that they could hide from God. God's everywhere. You can, you can make your, as David said, you can make your grave in hell and you can't hide from God. You're not going to hide from God. And God sees everything you do. He knows everything you do. And so they had a bad theology about that. But I also believe that they didn't understand that God was immutable. What I mean by immutable, it means that God doesn't change. He's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And so, so they thought maybe he would change his mind, even though God does not change his mind. I mean, when he just says something, he means what he says. Unlike a lot of us, he means exactly what I, he says. But, you know, I believe Adam and Eve did understand, to a certain degree, that prophecy that God gave them in chapter 3, verse uh, number 15. So, so go back there for a minute before we go to... Uh, uh, chapter 4, and remember what God told him. He said, I will put, he was actually cursing the servant and telling the serpent, hey, your, your day's coming. You know, you're going to get it one day. And what he said to the serpent was, in verse 15, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed, the seeds you plant, and the woman, uh, and the seed of the woman. And notice that seed is in caps. And so there's a messianic prophecy given to them right away after the fall. And I think they had a little bit of clue about what that meant, that one day a Messiah would come and that Messiah would pay for their sins, and then when that Messiah came, he, they would have access to God again. But they also, I think, to some degree, understand what God did in verse number 21 of chapter 3. It says, uh, and also for Adam and his wife, the Lord God made tunics of skin and clothed them. Now, in order to make those tunics of skin, what did God have to do? He had to kill an animal. Blood had to be shed. And so for them to be, their nakedness to be covered and their sin to be covered, blood had to be shed. And so I think they understood, to some degree, something about atonement, about substitution, that somebody had to give their life for you in order for you to be saved. And so I think Adam and Eve began to bring sacrifices to that spot where God had kicked them out of the Garden of Eden. Now I have a hunch where that spot is. Because remember, they were in the Garden of Eden, which sat on the edge of the earth and on the edge of heaven. And God came from Mount Zion every day, and he came to visit them in the Garden of Eden. The city of Zion is the heavenly Jerusalem. And so the heavenly Jerusalem is not, probably not too far away from the earthly Jerusalem. 
And so I believe that where they were making those sacrifices were somewhere right on that ridge of Moriah, maybe where Jesus got crucified, or maybe where the Temple Mount was. So in one of those areas, they were more than likely making those sacrifices. And I think to some degree, they understood that that's the only way they could approach God. And I believe that when they made those sacrifices, that God actually did come and visit them. In fact, we didn't know that he came and visited visit them because we're going to see him visit Cain and we're going to see him visit Abel. And so, so they were meeting with God, but they were doing it God's ways. And so as Cain and Abel grew up, their parents taught them all of these foundational truths that they had learned. First of all, that God is the creator, that all things have been cre- that are created have been made by him, that the God that they walk with in the garden, the that was a theophany that was none other than Jesus Christ pre-incarnate. That God was the, is the creator of all things, and they understood that. And they understood that God had told them, so they told their kids about this. God had told us not to eat of this fruit, and we ate of this fruit, and when we ate of this fruit, uh, we died spiritually, and we were kicked out of the garden. So they understood something about sin. They understood something about the fall. And, and I also believe that they were, taught, they were taught about this prophecy that the Messiah would come one day, and they understood a little, they, were taught, they taught them so that they understood a little bit about this blood atonement, about this substitution. I know that Abel understood it, what they were teaching him, and I believe he understood this prophecy, and he understood verse 21 and what it all, what it all meant, because what did Abel, what was his profession? What did he grow up to be? A sheep herd. And they didn't eat meat at that time. They don't eat meat, we're told, until the flood. And so he was, why was he raising sheep? He was raising sheep for clothing, but also as a sacrifice. So Abel grew up as as a sheep herder, and, and so he understood something about this, and he became the first prophet on earth, the first man of God on earth. Listen to what Jesus says, speaking of the prophets in Matthew 22, verse 35. He says, I send you the prophets. Some of them you will kill or crucify as you did to all the prophets, beginning with Abel to the prophet Zechariah. So the very first prophet of God was Abel. Now, Abel believed. He believed in the atonement. He believed in a substitute, something or someone had to die for his sin. He believed in a blood atonement. And I believe he did his best to get his brother Cain and the rest of his siblings to believe in that atonement too. And I believe when things started out that Cain did the same thing that Abel did. He was a, we're going to see later on, he was a farmer and not a sheep herder, but he would trade some of his crops for some of those some of those lambs, and he would make sacrifices, and he would come into the presence of the Lord too. Uh, But Cain had a problem, and this is the problem we're going to be looking at today. Cain's heart was never right with God. And the reason his heart wasn't right with God, because he, instead of being the seed of the woman, was the seed of the serpent And we're going to see as we go through this story, he's going to, because of that, he's going to murder his brother. And and we're going to see this age-old battle between the seed of the serpent and the seed of the woman begin. And it's got implications for all of us. It has implications today. And that's why this is such an important study. So 
So hang with me here, and let's begin in verse number 1. It says, Now Adam knew his wife Eve. He had sexual intercourse with his wife Eve. And she conceived and bore Cain. And she said, I have acquired, I have gained or acquired a man from God. Now, last week in our study in chapter 3, we saw that in the midst of this curse that God, you know, God cursed the earth, the Lord also was merciful. We, we, you know, we, we know that the mercies of the Lord are new every day. And so he was merciful to Adam and Eve, and he was merciful. He's been merciful throughout history to all of mankind. I mean, I think he's merciful. When I look at this country and the state this country's in, you better believe he's merciful. And we see his mercies around us all the time. And, and, and that makes life where life can be a blessing even in a fallen world. And I believe the greatest mercy that we see in God or we receive from God, the greatest gift we receive from God are our children. I believe that. That's, a, that's the greatest gift. I, I, I know in my own life, I mean, I, I, I look at, you can, you look around and you see so many terrible things in this world. I mean, it, it's, it's so bad that you, you see people just, you know, killing themselves by the thousands. I mean, all, almost every week you see people killing themselves because this world is so bad. It's so terrible. It's so evil. It's so cursed. But then you hold a little baby. You hold a little baby and you look in that baby's eyes and you, you say, what a blessing. Life is such a blessing. Life is such a gift from God. And so here were Adam and Eve, and, and, and they were living in this cursed world. They, had, they had seemingly lost everything. And then what does God do? He blesses them with their first son. And so she calls her son Cain, which means to gain. Because in the midst of this cursed world, God had blessed her with a, with a son. She had gained a son. And, and uh, she was blessed. Then look at verse number two. It says, then she bore again another son, and this time his brother, and his name was Abel. Now, Abel was a keeper of the sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. Now, it's interesting that the name Abel means breath or vapor. I don't know why in the world she would have named her son that, but it certainly was prophetic. Because he's not going to live long. He's going to grow up to be a man. And shortly after he becomes a man, we don't know exactly how long he lived, but, but he's going to die at a very young age. And he's going to be killed by his older brother, Cain. And then we see their professions here. We've already talked about Abel. He's a keeper of the sheep. But Cain was a tiller of the ground. Those are both honorable professions. I mean, Cain didn't fall into evil because he didn't have an honorable profession. I mean, he wasn't a drug dealer or anything like that. I mean, he was a, a farmer. I mean, I, I, I think farmers are some of the most godly people on earth, some of the most blessed people on earth. And so certainly he had an honorable profession. But look what happens. Let's go to verse number 3, and we begin to see the seed of serpent in, in Cain. All right, verse number 3, it says, And in the process of time it came to pass. Now, I'm going to stop right there for a minute, because if you look at your margins, it says, At the end of the days. At the end of the days it came to pass. Well, what days? At the end of the weeks. At the end of every week, what happened? 
They went into the Sabbath. And what did they do on the Sabbath? They worshiped the Lord. So really you could reword that and you could say, and when it came time to worship the Lord at the end of the week on the Sabbath, Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. Now that sounds to me like a good offering. This guy had worked all week. He had worked his whole life. He worked under a curse with thorns and thistles, and he planted these crops, and he grew these crops, and he harvested these crops, and he brought these crops to the Lord. Now, there doesn't seem to be anything evil about that to me. On the surface, there doesn't seem to be anything evil, but let's go look further here. Abel also brought an offering of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat. And the Lord, here's where it gets dicey here. And the Lord respected Abel and his offering, but he did not respect, the Lord did not respect Cain and his offering. Now, let me tell you something. I can tell you this right away. You want to be respected by the Lord. You've got to do things the Lord's way. I don't care what you do, how good you think you're doing, how religious you are, how much you read your Bible, how much you study, all of that. If you want to approach the Lord, You've got to approach the Lord in the way in which he prescribed. There's no other way you can approach the Lord. And so so the Lord didn't respect Cain, and he didn't respect his offering. Now, that's a terrible place to be. I've got to tell you, if the Lord doesn't respect you, that means you don't know the Lord. And what does the Lord say about those that don't know him? I don't care about what kind of religion, re- religious works you've done. You can prophesy, and you can heal the, the blind, and you can raise the dead. But if I never knew you, what is the Lord going to say to you? He's going to say, depart from me, I never knew you. And, and, And because you're just like Cain, you did things your way and not my way. And so he didn't respect Cain and he didn't respect his offering. And I and I can understand Cain's reaction. I mean, he was very angry. I think he was angry, first of all, at Abel, but really because Abel's offering was accepted and his wasn't, but deep-rooted in that anger was what? His anger for God. He was really angry with God. And so his countenance fell. I mean, he was sad. Now, here's Cain. He's a pretty good guy. He's a farmer. He's a hard worker. And, and, And he goes and he gets the very best of his crops. And he says, I'm going to give the very best thing I have, and I'm going to offer it up to the Lord. And so he offers up to the Lord, and he's thinking to himself, look, how, look what I've offered up. The Lord is going to be really pleased with me. I don't know about you, but there's been times I've offered things up to the Lord in my life, and, and I thought the Lord was going to be really pleased with me, and, and, and God has, has, has brought me down uh, low after that. I mean, because, because God is not interested, and I, all of us do this, God is not interested in the good works that we produce. He's interested in the good works that he produces through us. And he, he's interested in our faith. You know what he's interested in more than anything else? Is whether or not you've been covered in the blood of Jesus Christ. And whether or not you're living by faith and not by works. That's what he's interested in. And so you can offer up all sorts of stuff that the Lord doesn't respect. And as a believer, you try to do that, the Lord's going to bring you down. He's going to bring you down low. He's going to remind you that you don't have anything to offer me. 
All you, have to, all you have to offer me is that blood that covers you, that spirit that I've given you, that life that I've given you. And, those, and, and James is right. Faith without works is dead. Real life, the real life of Christ does produce good works, but it produces those works that Christ produces through you. So here's Cain, and, and I mean, he's, he's been shamed, and he's hurt, and he's angry. And then... I mean, and, and so you got to ask the question, I mean, why did the Lord accept, and I've kind of given you the answer already, but why did the Lord accept Abel and not, Abel's offering and not Cain's? Because Cain's was an offering of works, and Abel's was an offering of faith. Cain's offering in the book of Jude is called the way of Cain. The way of Cain, and that's something we need to understand. And what it is, it's, a way, it's the way most of the people of this world try to approach God through their good works, through their religious works. The way of Cain is rooted in this idea that somehow that man can do enough to overcome their evil works. You can't do anything to overcome your evil works. Only the blood of Christ can overcome your evil works. I mean, we, we wouldn't be wrong either to, to call Abel's offering the way of Abel. And what's the way of Abel? The way of Abel is based upon the truth that there's nothing man can do in order to come, overcome the sin in their life. We can only have, listen to me very carefully here, you can only have a righteous standing before God by grace through faith. That's the only way you can be righteous before God. And I'm not talking about just when you get saved. I'm talking about every single moment of every single day. The just shall live by faith. I mean, faith in what? Faith in the blood atonement of Jesus Christ that paid for our sins and perfects us and gives us a spirit and gives us life. That's the only way we can live. And I know I see everybody shaking their head, yes, but I, see, so, I hear from so many people that don't really live that way. They're still trying to please God in their, with, by their good works. Go with me over to Hebrews. And, and, and Abel is the first hero of faith mentioned in Hebrews in that hall of faith. Go over to Hebrews chapter 11. Almost go to the end of your Bibles. Almost to Revelation. You'll see this big book of Hebrews. And get to chapter 11. And look down at verse number four. And what do you see right away? By faith. You got that? By faith, Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. What kind of sacrifice was it? It was a blood sacrifice. It required that the life of a being be, be taken in order to be a substitution or a covering for your sin. And so by faith, Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained the witness that he was righteous. How did Abel become righteous and Cain became evil? How come Abel is the seed of the woman, or of the Messiah, you could say, the seed of Christ? How, could he, how is he that and Cain the, the, the seed of Satan? Because Abel was made righteous by the sacrifices that he made, because those sacrifices 
pointed to the cross and they pointed to Jesus Christ. God testifying of his gifts. It, it, and through it, he being dead still speaks. Abel still speaks. There's not a clear message, a more simple, profound message about faith than we get in chapter 4 of Genesis. Abel is still speaking to us. And what does he say? What, he, what he's saying is that my way is the way of faith. The, the only way to be righteous before God is through faith. That's the only way. Now, let's go to, back to chapter 4, and let's read verses 6 and 7. Now, the Lord isn't done with Cain. You know, I'm always amazed at how the Lord keeps chasing after us in his mercy and how he forgives us and he doesn't give up on us, even though sometimes we give up on ourselves. I mean, you remember when Judas had betrayed Jesus in the garden? The Lord still was calling him friend. He was still, was, even though the Lord knew he wasn't going to change, the Lord still was trying to give him an opportunity to change, but he wouldn't change because he was of the seed of the serpent who persecuted the seed of the woman. And so the Lord's going to try to get Cain to change. He's going to do his best, and we're going to see when we get into this next week, we finish this up. I mean, he just keeps giving Cain one opportunity after the other, but he never does change. And no doubt Cain is one of those people in the Bible who ends up in the fires of hell before it's all over. But look at verses 6 and 7 and listen to what it says there. It says, so the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry and why is your countenance fallen? Well, the Lord knew why, but he's getting Cain to make a confession but listen to what he says. He says, if you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, here's your problem. And here's the problem of everybody that doesn't do things the way God prescribes for them to be done. He says, sin lies at your door, and its desire is to consume you, to destroy you. That's Satan's desire for every person on this earth. He wants to destroy you. He wants to make you the seed of the serpent so that you will be destroyed. And so he says, and if you do not do well, sin lies at your door and its desire is for you, but you should rule over it. You have power over sin. You, everybody in this room, listen to me. You have power over sin. You tell me you've got some kind of sin in your life that you can't handle. I don't buy that. You have power over sin in your life. You, God said to Cain, you can rule over it. And he's going to show us how. We're going to see how here in a minute. But you have power over sin. Now, what was God saying to Cain right here in this passage? What he was saying, he said, look, Cain, I see your anger. I understand your anger. I see that you're mad. I see that your countenance has failed. I, I, your, your feelings are hurt. But you shouldn't be angry. If you had done what you were supposed to do, if you had done what I had done for Adam and Eve, if you had gone and you had gotten a sacrifice from your brother, traded some of your crops for a lamb like you had been doing before, and you had brought a blood sacrifice to the altar, then, and you had killed that lamb, then that sacrifice would have been accepted because it would have been made as I prescribed it to be made. 
It would have been a blood atonement and not a sacrifice of your own good works. Now, why is that so important to the Lord that we make a blood sacrifice? Why is that so important? Well, I could get in all sorts of theological things about that, and you get that later on in the Bible, but we'll keep this simple for right now. But really, the Lord gives him the answer because look what he says here. He says, if you do not do well, in other words, if, if you try to be good by your own efforts, if that, that's what Cain was doing, through your own hard work, then sin lies at your door and its desire is to destroy you. But you can't let that happen. You have to rule over sin. And how do you rule over sin? Not by your own efforts. You do it by faith. Everybody got that? You do it by faith. The Bible says over and over again, not just the just are saved by faith, the just shall do what? They shall live by faith. And if anybody should have understood that principle, the sons of Adam and Eve should have understood that principle. Abel understood it. Because they knew all about the serious consequences of sin. Now you look at that sin that Adam and Eve, I mean, what did they do? They didn't murder anybody. They didn't rob any banks. They didn't do any drugs. They didn't, they, you know, they didn't ha commit adultery. They weren't homosexuals. What did they do? They ate of the forbidden fruit. And God slammed them. You're talking about getting slammed down. They got slammed down. They just ate of this fruit. I don't believe there's anything in that fruit. Now, there was the, it could have been an apple, it could have been a pear, it could have been a grape, it could have been anything. It didn't matter. It, it, there was what was going to happen when they ate that fruit. They rebelled against God, and when they died spiritually, then all of a sudden they had the knowledge of good and evil, and that war began. And, and, and they had a choice between good and evil every single moment of every single day. And so, look at how what a serious, terrible price they paid just for eating a piece of fruit. They got kicked out of the Garden of Eden. They lost their fellowship with God. They were kicked out of the presence of God. You talk about a, a severe punishment for a seemingly trivial sin. Man, if God takes that so serious, what does he think about any of our other sins? You have an evil thought? You have a lustful thought? What does God think about that? I'll tell you what, he thinks the same thing about that that he thinks about murder. Because that's what we're seeing in this passage. Where's all this going to lead? It's going to lead to murder. See, God knew. God in his foreknowledge could look down through history. He knew what was going to happen when Adam and Eve ate, just simply ate of that fruit. You see the mess we're in? They're responsible for that. And don't get hard on them, because if you were there, you'd do the exact same thing, and you'd do it every day. And we try to, what we try to do is, is put fig leaves over ourselves and cover up our sin with our good works, our religious activities and things, and God will have none of that. If he would have none of that with Adam and Eve and none of that with Cain, he's certainly not going to have none of that with you. And too many of us are still trying to please God by our good works. Well, Abel understood that. He understood the seriousness of Adam and Eve's sin, and he understood the seriousness of sin, and he listened to his parents. And, and so by doing that, he lived close to God. Now, here's what happens. 
When you begin to approach God the way he prescribed for you to approach him, through the blood of his son, you get close to God. You know what happens when you get close to God? You don't see any sin as trivial. When you get before a holy, righteous God, when you stand in the presence of a holy, righteous God, you understand how unholy you are. And you walk through the day and you have some evil thought. You say, whoa, where did that come from? Well, you know where it came from? Sometimes maybe from the devil, but most of the time, you know where it came from? It came from you and your sin nature. And even though you don't act it out and, and, and nobody's harmed by it, it is very serious to God. And so you constantly run into the cross. You're constantly living by the faith in what Christ has done for us because you know without that cross and without that blood, you have absolutely no hope. And so you don't, you're not saying, well, I'm going to do better today. I hear this from people all the time. I'm going to do better today and then God will be pleased with me. No, God, that, boy, you know what you're doing there? You're heading the way of Cain. You've got to appropriate the blood to your life in every situation. You've got to appropriate the, the just shall do what? They shall live by faith. It is a constant process. And Abel understood that. And, and, but Cain didn't. Let me tell you why he didn't. And here's the killer. of It's the seed of Satan. It's the fact that Cain, I mean, Cain was full of pride. He didn't need the blood. The gory blood of that animal? You tell me the gory blood of that animal? Abel didn't have to do anything. I mean, all he had to do was feed that, walk that animal around. The animal would eat, uh, you know, eat the grass that was there. He didn't have to do anything with that animal. I mean, to get the wool, he had to, had to uh, you know, shear the, the wool off of the, 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 the sheep. You know, and maybe he would have been better offering the wool than offering the blood. I mean, what's the blood got to do with this? So he said, Cain just couldn't buy that. That gory blood, you're going to tell me that's a better offering than my crops that I worked so hard for? You see how deep-rooted that is in so much of our society, in so much of our religion, what we call the way of Cain? That somehow we can be righteous by our good works? See, and then what happens when you do that, when you try to live by works, you separate yourself from God. And you begin to separate yourself from God, and God doesn't become so holy to you. You know, it's, it's, it's strange how the people that I think struggle the most in this war between the, between the flesh and the spirit are the people that are closest to the Lord. You know, what did Paul call himself? The chiefest of all sinners. I mean, that's the greatest man who ever lived other than Jesus Christ. And he called himself the chiefest of all sinners. because You know why? Because he was close to God. And he understood how terrible his sin was because in the sight of a holy God, all our sin is terrible. And all of it has consequences, far-reaching consequences. And so Cain, the way of Cain, is the pride of life. And i got to tell you, there are a lot of people who call themselves Christians who are full of this pride of life. It is the deadly, uh, deadliest of sins because it separates us from fellowship with the Lord and from holiness. And without holiness, 
No one will see God, we're told in Hebrews chapter 12, without holiness, absolute perfection, without absolute holiness. Where does that come from? It comes by faith and not by works. So now look what happens as we finish up here in verse number 8. It says in verse number 8, Now Cain talked with Abel, his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field all alone that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and he killed him. Slaughtered him. Probably with a machete or something like that. His own brother. Now here was Abel. Abel was a prophet of God. And Abel had seen what had happened to Cain when Cain brought his sacrifice and God didn't accept his sacrifice. And so I believe Abel came out to the field to talk to Cain. He was a prophet. That's what prophets do. They warn people. They try to get people to do the right thing. And so he goes out to see his brother and not to gloat, not to say, well, guess what? look at this. The Lord accepted my offering, but he didn't accept yours. That's not the reason he went out there. He went out there to tell Cain, Cain, look, you don't understand. Let me explain to you. You're going the wrong way. You're never going to have a relationship with God trying to please God with your own works. It's just not going to happen. You can only do that by faith. And Cain was so full of pride that he wasn't going to have any of that. And he, didn't, he was angry, but now he's really angry. And he's got Abel out in the field, and he's all alone. And he, he, again, his theology is bad too because he doesn't understand the omniscience and omnipresence of God. And so he thinks he's going to slaughter his brother and he's going to get away with it. And what does he do? He kills him. You know why? Because he had been bitten by the serpent. And he was full of pride. He was, and he was poisoned with bitterness and anger. And he had no way out. Because he didn't understand faith. He didn't want to understand faith. He wasn't going to have anything to do with faith. He didn't want the blood. He thought he didn't need the blood. And we get this lesson. We get this lesson, what God's showing us here, from that point on, that those seeds of Satan that he plants in the hearts of men and women, that, it, that we inherit in that fallen nature, that pride and that lust, they will never be removed from our soul by souls by our good works, by our self-effort. They can only be removed by greater power the, uh, through the blood of Jesus Christ that atones for our sin, that gives us new life, and that comes by faith, by faith, and faith only. So, here you have it. I mean, you talk about a foundational story. You've got one right here. I mean, we got the creation, we got the fall, and now we get this great lesson on faith. Faith versus works. The seed of the Satan versus the seed of the woman. And that battle's been going on for centuries. Ever since chapter 4 of Genesis, some 6,000 years ago, that battle's been going on. Cain represents the seed of the serpent, and Abel represents the seed of the woman, who are the children of God. 
because they are the people of faith. Listen to me. You're not a child of God if you're not a person of faith. It's as simple as that. That's why the hall of faith in chapter 11 of Hebrews begins with the prophet Abel. You'd think maybe Abraham, but it begins with Abel because he was the first prophet of faith. By faith, Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice. And that's the way of Abel versus the way of Cain. And that's why throughout history, the seed of the serpent has persecuted the seed of the woman. Paul said it like this in Galatians 4.29. He says, he who was born of the flesh then persecuted him who was born of the spirit. And even so it is now. And the reason it is is because of the pride of those who are of the seed of the serpent. I mean, their pride makes them appalled at the gospel. They don't want anything to do with the gospel. Now, they'll tell you that they believe in Jesus and that he died on the cross, but they don't really need it. When somebody says that all roads lead to heaven, when somebody says that, that other religions other than Christianity lead to heaven, when I hear that, I want to throw up. Because that is of the seed of the serpent. Because every other religion but true Christianity says you can't do anything to save yourself. You can't do good works. You can't bow to Allah a million times in your life and get to heaven. You can't kill a bunch of people and have 70 virgins and be in paradise. That, that, those way you, that's not the way you get to heaven. There's only one way you get through, through he, to heaven, and that's through the blood of Jesus Christ. But people, hey, don't give me that blood. I don't need the blood. I don't need the blood because, I, hey, you know, I, I'm pretty good myself. I do a lot more good than I do bad. Why would I need the blood? And so they actually think that they can atone for their own sins. And they've gone, as Jude says, the way of Cain. And that's the way of Satan because it's based upon pride and self-effort, and self-righteousness. And it is the way of every false religion, every false religion. But it's not the way of God. The way of God is the way of Abel, and that's the way of faith. It's only by faith that you can be saved. It's only by faith that you can be sanctified. It's only by faith that you will ever be glorified. It's all by faith. It's not by your good works. Faith produces godly works. Those are really good works. But, you're, but through your own efforts, you will never be pleasing to God. You know, Paul, over in Romans chapter 3, or really the first three chapters of Romans, gives a systematic theology of the gospel. You want to get into some details with sanctification, substitution, propitiation, justification, then you read those first three chapters of Romans. That's the gospel really given to you uh, theologically in a scholarly way by a scholarly man filled with the Spirit of God. So that's really, that's, I love the book of Romans. I mean, flip with me there for the book of, to the book of Romans for a minute. Go to chapter number one, book of Romans. Go past the gospels in the New Testament and you'll... After Acts, you'll see the book of Romans. 
And I just want you to look in the book of Romans, and I'm not going to go through the book of Romans, obviously, here in the five minutes we've got left. But I want you to just look here for a minute. Maybe we ought to just spend a few hours here in the first three chapters of Romans. But we'd take more than a few hours. I think it took us almost six months to get through the first three chapters of Romans the first time we went through it. But, but I want you to just see. I mean, we're just going to look at this in a simple manner. How many times you see the word faith here? And how important the word faith is to this systematic theology. Look in Romans chapter 1, beginning in verse number 5. Through him, it says, we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to what? The faith. See that? Among all the nations for his name. Now jump down to verse number 8. For I thank God through Jesus Christ for all of you because of your good works, because of your scholarly Bible theology, because of your baptism, because of your giving, because of your, your uh, church membership, because uh, you do a lot of good works. No, it says, first I thank God through Jesus Christ for all of you that your faith, your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. You, you, you wanna, if you're a strong Christian, people understand. If you're full of the Spirit, people understand that you're a man or woman of faith. They see that in you. They, they know you couldn't be that kind of person on your own. There's nobody like you. You're different. Somebody's changed you. Something or someone's changed you. The Holy Spirit's changed you. Then jump down to verse number 11. For as long as I see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gifts so that you may be established, that is that I may be encouraged together with you by the mutual faith, both of you and me. In other words, the faith that I have is the same faith that Paul had. The faith that I have is the same faith that Abel had. And, and, and the same faith that Abraham had. The faith that's given to us by Jesus Christ. And then you get this great verse in verse number 16, and Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, who has faith, for the Jew first and also the Greek. For in it the righteousness, watch this, in the gospel of faith, the righteousness of God is revealed from what? Faith to faith. All of life is faith. If you're a born-again believer, the just shall live by faith. Do you see that? There's so many people that think somehow that you're saved by faith and you live by good works. It's from faith to faith. The just shall live by faith. And then what he does in chapter 2, beginning in verse 18 and through chapter 2, he makes the case that there's none righteous. That nobody can, can approach God through their good works. He says in verse 18, he says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness. How do you get righteousness? In the last verse, by faith. So these are the unfaithful. Unrighteousness is a man who suppressed the truth of faith in unrighteousness. And because look at verse number 21. He says, because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile. So even the atheist, his problem is he doesn't have faith. They became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Now, we're not going to go through how he convicts everybody as being unrighteous, but he sums it up over in chapter number 3. Go to chapter number 3 and look down at verse number 10. He says, as it is written, there is what? None righteous. 
He's quoting from the Psalms here, but none, it means none in the Greek, and it means none in the Hebrew. There is none righteous. No, not one. There, Adam wasn't righteous, Eve wasn't righteous, and all, all Adam and Eve did was eat of the forbidden fruit. So you got to figure anybody else who's ever lived has done a lot worse than they did. So there's none righteous, no, not one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. And so no one can fix their condition. No one. But then he sums it up as he gives the gospel beginning in verse number 20. He says, listen, therefore, by the deeds of the law, or the good, your good deeds, no flesh will be justified in his sight, for it is by law, for by law is the knowledge of sin. All law does is tell you where you're sinning. He doesn't fix the sin. He doesn't fix it at all. Look at verse 21. But now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. That, it tells you where you've sinned. The first prophet being Abel. He's witnessed, he's witnessed to the fact that you can't keep the law, that righteousness, look at verse 22, even the righteousness of God that comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe. For there is no difference, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Therefore, he concludes in verse 28, we conclude that man is justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law. That's the gospel, friends. That's the way of Abel. That's the way of justification, and that's the way of sanctification, and that's the way of glorification. It is all by faith. You know, whenever we go through the book of Romans, and I spared you a lot of that, we just read it, but when we go through that in detail, inevitably I always have a group of people that come up to me and say, you know what, I just can't get that stuff. It's just too complicated. When you talk about propitiation and justification, atonement and sanctification and, and, and all of those terms, glorification, that just throws me off. I mean, I just can't get an understanding of that. And you know what I should have said to those people, but I didn't. No, not, nothing like that. I should have said that all you need to do is go to chapter 4 of Genesis. And read the story of Cain and Abel. That's all you got to do. Because the gospel is right there in its simplest and plainest form. Everyone, I'm telling you right now, is either on the way of Cain or they are on the way of Abel. The way of Cain leads to hell and the way of Abel leads to everlasting life. It can't get any more simple than that. And you'd better make sure that you're on the right way. Because your salvation and your sanctification and your glorification all depend upon you being on the right way. I have people that call themselves Christians that I think more than likely are Christians. I wonder sometimes. They tell you they're saved, but they're still trying to please God through their own efforts. 
They're still trying to fix themselves. Let me warn you about that. If you don't get this thing of faith down, you're not going to be made holy. You can't make yourself holy. If you're struggling with things in your life, if you're struggling with things that God says are going to send you straight to hell, because I'm going to tell you what, idolaters, homosexuals, drunkards, uh, fornicators, I'll give, you, I'll give you the list. You're not going to make it to heaven. And if you're telling me you're living by faith and you're still living in those things, you're full of it. I'm not going to tell you what, but you're full of it. Bad theology is what you're full of. And I know so many people that I know that are on their, the way of Cain because you know what they're doing? There's one or two things. They're winking at their sin. Did God wink at Adam and Eve's sin? No. And he doesn't wink at your sin. And, and you had better get it fixed. And the only way to fix it is by faith. You can't fix it yourself. I can't fix it for you. There's no professional who can fix it for you. You've got to make a choice that I'm going to put that sin away, and you better put it away, and you do it by faith. And if you're not willing to do that, let me tell you what, you're on the way of Cain. And the reason I'm getting forceful here because, because I'm afraid for some of you that you're going to be in hell because you think somehow that God is winking at your sin. He certainly doesn't wink at my sin. And he's not winking at your sin. And you better get it fixed. And you can only get it fixed by faith. And God's going to chase you down, and you're going to have experiences with God. But friends, if you don't get on the way of Abel by faith, then you're still going to fall into some sin. But there's a lifestyle of sin you better be putting away by faith. By faith. You can only do that by faith. Christ loves you so much. He bled and died for you. He was made sin for you so that you could have the very righteousness of God. And if you don't accept that gift, you're trampling on the blood of Jesus Christ. And I wouldn't want to be in your shoes for anything in this world. I trampled all over it for a good part of my life. And, and that's the wonderful grace of God. He still chased me down till I came to my senses. He's still dealing with me now till I come to my senses. But faith changes you. The way of Abel changes you. And we become holy. And without holiness, you will not see God. That's why the way of Cain is the way to perdition. The way of Abel is the way to eternal life. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we just thank you for your goodness. Father, I, I just ask you today, if there's anyone in this room who's who's trying to justify themselves through their religion, through their church attendance, through their Bible, whatever good things they do, 
If they can't understand this, Lord, I ask you to open their ears and hearts today to, to see this truth. It's so simple when we see it in Abel. He just did a simple thing, Lord. He, he, he made blood sacrifices to you. But he changed his life. Took away the pride because he saw your holiness, Lord. And now he sees your glory and he's glorified. Lord, God, help those in this room who wink at sin and think somehow they just they can just go on in their sin and you're just everything's fine. All of us, Lord, have sinned and fall short of your glory, Lord, but you're by faith in your blood, in your Holy Spirit, your life to change us and save us, Lord. We have the power to put away that sin and live in close fellowship with you. And Lord, when we do sin, we know that your blood cleanses us from all unrighteousness. Sin's serious stuff, Lord. We take it way too lightly in this country, in this world, in our own lives. Lord, it cost you your life. We thank you for that that you were willing to give your life so that we might have life. Thank you, Lord Jesus. It's in your precious name that I pray. Amen.